If you're hearing this, you have stumbled across Murder Bucket, the true crime podcast with me, Hannah Palmer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, everyone. Wow, it has been a long two weeks. And I will get into the reason that I took a two-week hiatus here in just a moment. But since we are back with a brand new episode, I'm sure you have figured out what we're talking about. That's right. You sent me your ghost and paranormal stories, and I am going to read them. So quickly, let me do my week slash weekend recap. I have been away from the podcast for two whole weeks meaning I didn't research anything, I didn't write anything, I didn't look anything up, nothing. And the reason for this is, in my video that I posted a couple of weeks ago, work has just been crazy. We implemented a brand new system at my work, and it has just gone completely chaotic. So my mental health was at an all-time low. I was just so drained, and I needed this time to kind of refresh, gain my thoughts, get back, and be able to tell you all things true crime. So in those two weeks, I had a job interview for a new position at my work. I got the position, so yay me, new promotion, more money. The good thing is I get to stay at my desk. I'm in the same department. I just get to do more stuff. We had this like crazy kind of like fiasco with our heating and air conditioner. Back in 2019, the neighbor's tree was struck by lightning and the lightning surged to the ground, hit our propane line and the propane line caught part of our house on fire. So we were out of our house for nine months exactly. Because a week after the fire happened, I found out that I was pregnant with our daughter and we moved back in the day we got to bring her home from the hospital. So ever since we moved back into the house, we have had so many issues with our HVAC system where it wasn't regulating the temperature that you set it to, the auxiliary heat was coming on constantly, our usage was really high, even though we didn't have like some crazy spotlight outside. We weren't plugging in like electric cars or anything like that. We didn't change anything. Our monthly bills were super high, which made absolutely no sense because, again, we didn't change anything. So at one point, we had a company come out and they found a fan in the attic that had burned. So they replaced that, thinking it was going to fix the issue. And it didn't. Then several months later, that same company came out and they went out to the outside unit and found a couple of wires that had been burned. So they replaced those thinking it was going to fix the issue. And it didn't. They changed out the thermostat thinking that that was a problem because we used to have a Nest thermostat, which I really love it, but I hate it at the same time because it did not work. Then a coworker of mine, her husband is an HVAC guy, and he came out to the house to look at the system to try and find anything wrong with it to figure out why our bills were so high. Well, he was here for probably like three hours and couldn't find anything wrong with it. So he kind of recommended that maybe we just get a new system because it was a little over 10 years old. So he went back to his shop and he got us a quote, but unfortunately, if we did it directly through him, we couldn't do financing. And nobody that I know just has $7,000 laying around 
for an inexpensive HVAC system. So finally, we decided that we were just going to find a company that did have financing and just, you know, bite the bullet, go for it, just get a new system and just pay it off every month. So we had another company come out a couple of weeks ago, and that guy, which was the HVAC manager of this company, went out to the outside unit and took the entire thing apart and found that there were several burn marks on the inside of that unit. He said this is consistent with getting directly struck by lightning, meaning that our system got damaged in the fire. My husband and I decided after he left that we were going to take the chance of contacting our insurance company and seeing if it was possible to reopen our closed claim to get our HVAC unit replaced. Now, we honestly didn't think it was going to work. We thought they were going to say, no, your claim's already closed. That's been two years ago. We can't do anything for you. Or maybe they were going to say, well, we'll only pay a part of the HVAC system at a like a depreciated value. And we were kind of fine with that. Like we could just finance the rest of it. Wouldn't be a big problem. But when I contacted the insurance company and I kind of told them the story and the issues we were having and that this HVAC manager, that he had the evidence to prove that it was struck by lightning and it was damaged in the fire. He ended up, contacting the HVAC manager himself. The HVAC manager told him everything and the insurance company covered a brand new system. They asked the HVAC manager which system of the estimates that he had given us was the most equivalent to the one that we have in our home and the HVAC guy told him it was like $15,000 for this one and the insurance said, yep, you're good. There was never any mention of the HVAC system in the prior claim. So we are going to give you the money to get a brand new system. So we have a brand new HVAC system in our house, top of the line, energy efficient, and hopefully our bills every single month are not going to be crazy. Another very quick story before we get started is I'm trying to upgrade all of my podcast equipment so that my microphone works better and my setup is a little nicer. So I got a shock mount for my microphone and then I got a boom arm. But the problem with the boom arm is it has this like internal tension rod in it to where you have to loosen the tension to kind of bend the arm down so you can actually use the boom arm on your desk. But I have little weak lady arms and I couldn't get it to work. So I called my husband in the room to try and get it and he couldn't get it. And then we had our friend Noah who lives with us try to do it and he couldn't get it. Every time you bent the arm down and kind of tighten the side, as soon as you let it go, it just swing back straight. So it's completely useless. So we were returning that back to Amazon and I found a like generic boom arm that I got off of Amazon. And hopefully that will be here tomorrow and the setup will be a little bit better. Okay, I talked for too long, even though I was gone for two weeks and I just want to tell you everything. But I know you want to hear all of the listener ghost stories. So let's just go ahead and get started. All right, so these first few stories are from the host of Unsolved VA podcast. A few weeks after my dad died, I was driving his little Chevy S10 pickup. I had one of those. It had a sliding back window and it never whistled, but this day it kept on and on. No matter how many times I opened and closed, rematches, etc., it wouldn't stop. It was really getting on my nerves, so I finally said, Damn it, Dad, cut it out. And it quit, and it never did it again. Next story. I was renovating my childhood home after my mom went to an assisted living. My dad died in 2006, and this would have been 2013. I tore it up totally and made a lot of changes. 
One day, I was working in the bathroom and the plumbers had to go get supplies. So I was in the house by myself. It's a small house. From where I was to the back porch was maybe 30 feet. I heard this noise. The same one a coin makes when you spin it on the floor and it slows down. That chattering sound against the floor. I called out to the plumbers, but I didn't think they were back because they hadn't been gone for very long. I knew the noise came from the porch side of the house, so I went looking to find out what it was. I had one of Dad's large metal files, at least 14 inches long and pretty hefty, on top of the chest freezer. It was well away from the edge. When I went to the porch and looked down, it was on the floor a couple of feet from the freezer. I figured that that was Dad's way of telling me that he wasn't pleased with the changes I was making. That one definitely gave me some chills. All right, the third story. I was close to moving into the house, and I was in the unfinished basement, pressure washing the concrete floor. There was no one there but me. The basement entrance is on the outside of the house, covered, and the upstairs was locked. I heard a noise coming from above me and immediately knew the sound. Remember the old flat chair glides that would jump if you were sitting at a table and push away still sitting in it? It was that sound which is what our kitchen table set of many, many years had, but it had been gone out of the house for months. The sound was right over my head where my dad always sat at the table. After that, he never made his presence known again. I think that was his way of saying, it's okay now, I'm leaving. And the final story from Unsolved VA Podcast. I used to photograph headstones for a website. I was in a family cemetery pretty good size, about a hundred square feet, but it was at the end of a road on the top of a hill surrounded by trees. Only one way in and out. The parking area was clearly visible from anywhere in the cemetery. After a few minutes, I started feeling like I was being watched. I've never felt that in a cemetery before, so this isn't something I'd just say. It was bad enough that I kept stopping and looking around. Nothing. I finally found the graves of the matriarch and patriarch. I said to myself, okay, I'll photograph these and then leave. Many years ago, people liked to plant yucca by headstones for some reason. Both of their headstones were obscured by yucca in front of them. I reached down and pushed the yucca aside with one hand so I could take the picture of her headstone with the other. Just as I was about to take the picture, I saw something through the viewfinder and thank goodness looked over the camera. It was the biggest black widow I had ever seen, and it had crawled up the yucca plant headed directly for my hand. Southern black widows grow up to one and a half inches, including their legs. This girl was at least two and a half inches. The red hourglass was so big, it immediately popped out at you. I screeched like a little girl, jumped back, told the matriarch I didn't mean any harm, and I was so sorry to disturb her, and I immediately left. I would have also screeched like a little girl and immediately ran away without saying anything to the matriarch. All right, we have a story from Karen Rayner from the Chick Lit with Karen and Aubrey podcast. In 2012, I began attending Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina. I had heard the ghost stories about Meredith before, but I wasn't expecting to have experiences of my own. My first night in the dorms, I was still alone as my roommate had yet to move in. I was walking through the first floor hallway of my building when all of a sudden, two girls came running out of their dorm room screaming. This is the part of the story where I have to explain how our rooms were set up at Meredith. Instead of your traditional dormitory style with rooms and one to two bathrooms per hallway, Meredith's dorms were suite style, meaning that each suite had two rooms, housing two women each, with a Jack and Jill bathroom between them. That is, each room had their own door to the bathroom that locked with a deadbolt from the inside, if that makes sense. Okay, back to my story. I saw the two girls come running out, and being the type of person that I am, 
stopped to ask them what was going on. One of the girls looked me dead in the eye and said, our bathroom door just locked itself. I asked her to clarify because surely she was mistaken and one of the girls from the other suite had simply needed to use the restroom. But when I brought up this point, she replied, there is no one living in that room. They haven't found someone to move in there. A closer inspection of the door to the adjoining room found that she was indeed correct. The door was locked and not adorned with the usual welcome accoutrements. I tried to clarify further with this freaked out classmate standing in front of me. You mean when you tried the door, it was locked? No, she replied. We saw the lock turn on its own. A few weeks later, I had shaken off this encounter and my roommate and sweetmates had finally all moved in. One afternoon, I was in my room alone getting ready to leave for class, so I went to use our bathroom. I knocked, no one answered, but when I went to turn the handle, it was locked. Which I found odd since the four of us had agreed that unless something really bad was going down in there, we wouldn't lock the door on each other. We simply knocked before going in. That way, no one accidentally forgot to lock the other side, preventing their sweetmates from accessing the shower and the toilet. I walked around to the other room and knocked on their door. My sweetmate answered. I told her the situation, which she also found a bit off-putting, but nevertheless agreed to let me enter from their side of the bathroom. Shaking off my discomfort, I went to turn the handle on their door, only to find it also locked. My roommate was in class, as was hers. We had both seen them leave. We also knew that no one could have entered without coming through one of our rooms, as we lived on the third floor, and even if someone could have somehow scaled the building and gotten the window open from the outside, which is impossible to do without breaking it, the window itself only opened about six inches to let steam out. We ended up calling a campus security guard who was able to unlock both sides for us. But as he left, he said, Strangest thing, this is my third call in three days for the exact same thing in this same dormitory. That gives me some ideas about looking up stuff with the Meredith College. The next story we have is from Holly Murray from Spooky Hour Podcast. I have a few stories to tell you, all tied to my legendary haunted basement. Okay, it's only legendary to me and my friends. We've always felt weird vibes down there since we were kids. Our playroom was down there, but we never wanted to be down there alone. I remember this sinking feeling in my stomach every time I went downstairs. I don't really remember anything happening until I was around 16 years old. My parents converted the basement into an apartment for me, and I lived down there full-time. The first WTF moment happened when I was brushing my teeth one night. The mirror in my bathroom faces the door, so if the door is open, it reflects into the hallway. I saw what I thought was my little sister run by in the reflection. I distinctly remember seeing a long brown ponytail swinging as she walked by. I yelled out, Riley, I saw you, because I thought she was just trying to scare me. She didn't answer, so I went out into the hallway, and no one was there. I called upstairs something along the lines of, You asshole, I know it was you. But nobody answered. I went upstairs, and no one was home. I was by myself. I locked myself in my bedroom for the night. I saw that brown ponytail like four more times in the mirror before I finally decided to shut the bathroom door every time I was in there. Girl, same. A few years later, I had some bags packed on my bedroom floor as I was going away for the weekend. I put my flat iron in my bag and wrapped the cord around it, tucking it in there. When I woke up in the morning, my flat iron was on my floor cord stretched out in a perfect straight line. Most of my ghosty experiences have been harmless, but this next one really shook me. I was in bed and I kept feeling a sting in my back. I thought there was a spider or a mosquito or something biting me. I finally got up 
and turned the light on and found a large sewing needle poking through my mattress as if it had been shoved up from underneath, pointy side up, poking me in the back. I didn't even own a sewing kit at the time. I still experience some things down there today. Items moving, random bumps in the night, lights flickering, that icky gut feeling, etc. We've done Ouija boards and other experiments down there, and we did experience some things. I was able to get a name one night, and I think it was Susan, but I don't really remember because we were drinking. I'd love to do a full investigation down there someday. I think my ghost is friendly. Let's hope that's a friendly ghost. The next story is from the host of the Tipsy Exchange podcast. I'm pretty certain my roommate created a poltergeist in our apartment when I was in college. After we had been living there for a little bit, we started noticing weird little things. For example, we had a change jar in the living room, and every once in a while, there would be just random coins all over the living room floor. Neither of us would have done it. Also, our guests would see things that we hadn't even told them about. There was always a shadow that you could see walking across my roommate's bedroom into the closet. She and I spent a whole night taking turns driving around the area trying to recreate the shadow from headlights or something, and we couldn't do it. Plenty of people saw that. And if you were in the kitchen by yourself, looking in the fridge, you would get a tap on your shoulder. That happened to multiple people. Then things started getting crazy. Like the volume on stereos would go up by themselves, and my roommate swore that she got pushed when she was in the shower. And I was a terrible roommate, so I think I could be why she made a poltergeist. Whatever it was, it all stopped after she moved out. This next story is from the host of Twisted and Uncorked podcast. I have a story about my time working at the old spaghetti factory and dealing with the appropriately named Spag Ghost. I worked at the old spaghetti factory for about eight years. I won't say which location, but I will say that it is in Canada. The furniture and decor that is brought in, anything from mirrors, masks, stained glass lamps, tables, chairs, paintings, etc., are all genuine antiques, and no one really knows where they originate as they are sold mostly at auctions and antique stores. I think the hauntings come from these objects. In my time there, I met my today husband, made lifelong friends and endless memories, but I am here to tell you of the four-year period I managed there and the unreal spooky shit that happened to me. All of the managers experienced something in one way or another, but mine were more frequent and more extreme. I think this is because I am an empath and I am already open to this sort of stuff. One night I managed, we had a large birthday party in the back section of about 30 people. It was a kid's birthday with a dinosaur theme and the mom brought in a bundle of helium balloons along with a buttload of other decorations. At the end of their dinner and cake, the mom handed out the balloons to any kid that wanted to take one home. One was heavily played with and she told me it had a leak in it and asked that I toss it. I let her know that it was no issue. I would clean it all up after they left if they didn't want to take the decorations home. I specifically remember bringing a big armful of decorations, including this balloon that was leaking helium, and throwing it in the back garbage can behind the restaurant. I closed that evening and unfortunately had to be back in the next day to open. Other than the kitchen crew, managers were the first to arrive to set up the service area and restaurant before opening. The next morning, I walked into the back door and around the corner to find that same balloon floating in front of the bread drawers in the kitchen. I thought maybe one of the kitchen guys were playing a trick on me, but it occurred to me that the balloon was not holding helium the night before and it was almost flat when I threw it out. How was it there floating? Nope, the kitchen guys had no idea what I was talking about and said it was there when they got there in the morning. 
I ran that balloon back out to the garbage feeling very unsettled. The barroom door was never ending game. One aspect of closing the restaurant obviously involved shutting off all the lights and setting the alarm. The switch and alarm panel were located in the bar room next to the bar at the front of the restaurant. Since it is the last thing to do, I would go in, shut off the lights, and set the alarm before huffing it out the front door and locking it before the timer went off. I would then walk to the back of the restaurant and get into my car. I would drive out to the front to start heading home and I noticed that the bar room light was on after I had shut it off and the door was open again. I would then park, get out of my car, unlock the front doors, disable the alarm, shut off the light, enable the alarm, shut the door, and run to the front to lock it and go out the front door. The next morning, my general manager told me that I left the bar room door open and the lights on. I told him what happened, and his response was, Yeah, sounds about right, indicating to me that these things have happened to him as well. Now, this last one happened to me when I had first started at the restaurant as a busser. I was 16 years old and saving for a car, so on Friday and Saturday nights, I would offer to close since only one busser was needed until the very end of the night. My general manager asked if I would go do a bathroom check and make sure that there were no lasting customers before the host locked the front door from the inside and then left out the back. We also had to make sure that the toilets were flushed, the garbage was pushed down, and any tissue or spills on the ground were cleaned up. I remember going into the men's room first and doing a little peek under the two stalls. No one was there. I finished and went into the girls' room. The girls had eight stalls in two rows of four. I went up to one row, pushing back every stall door, which would make a little slam noise as it hit the back door stops, and cleaned up the stalls. I was the only one in there, and suddenly I felt a push out of one stall, and the door slammed behind me and locked. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt Spag Ghost. At that time, I had no idea the restaurant was haunted, and this struck me as weird, but I continued down the rows. Another stall door slammed. Nope. I went running out of there, and I would never go into the bathrooms again without a work buddy. It has been three years since I worked there, and every time myself and another friend or past manager have to use the bathroom, we go in a buddy system to this day. That was 10 years ago. Here's another story. The house I grew up in was definitely haunted and is still in my family. It was a large farmhouse on three acres where my aunt, uncle, cousin, and godson still live. I grew up in the basement suite with my family, but spent many hours upstairs when my parents were at work. My brother and I ate dinner upstairs almost every night, and our cousins were more like siblings. All four of us were four years apart, and given all that young and sometimes angsty energy, our ghost was very active. Funny enough, now that we are all grown up and my cousins have kids of their own, the activity has started up again with all the grandkids in the house after being dormant for about 10 years after we grew up. Interesting how that works. So let's go back to the late 1990s. My younger brother is 6, I am 10, and my cousins upstairs are 14 and 18. While my aunt and uncle rarely saw the strange happenings, they knew there was an energy in the house, and they neglected to tell us that the previous couple that lived in the home had lived there since the house was built in 1969, and when in old age, the man, named George, passed away in his sleep in the living room armchair. Shortly after that, the house was sold to my aunt and uncle, and my family moved in downstairs. Since we didn't have a lot of money growing up, my family lived there for next to nothing a very close-knit family. Whenever something strange would happen, my aunt's response was always, oh, that's just George. Usually it was, but there was a darker energy in the house that was only felt at the end of the hallway where the linen closet was. 
It was the end of the hall in between my aunt and uncle's bedroom and my oldest cousin's room. There was also the corner that was a choice for all timeouts since it was secluded from the living room and kitchen where my cousins and brother would play. Every time I went down there, nose in the corner, it was the longest and most terrifying 10 minutes of my life. I used to beg to be put in any other corner and the grown-ups would never understand why. I would hear whispers coming from inside the closet, very pennywise in the sewers and drains, etc. And it was freezing over there. Not to mention, I would feel the occasional hand push my face further into the corner. Ew. This wasn't so much a closet as it was a tiny, tiny door, no more than five feet tall, and there was no latch or click for it to close. It was just a handle, and we would push it closed. Often, we would circle to go to the hall and find the closet wide open. Nope. My uncle owns his own business, and his work desk was behind the wall in this tiny room between the kitchen and the living room, but it was on the wall on the other side of the kitchen table. The phone would often ring when we sat down for dinner. Obviously, we let it go to voicemail. And more times than I can count, the voicemail would beep and there would be a raspy, scratchy noise, breathing, or only a few words spoken by a doctor no-sounding creep. I sensed that this was whatever used to push my head into the corner and whisper out of the closet. Again, I say, nope. Now for George. When my great-grandma passed away, she left behind beautiful music boxes for me and my two cousins the girls, and an antique toy truck for my brother. We each had our own music boxes in our respective rooms, and George definitely liked to make himself known in the house. My music box in particular was the kind that you would have to wind the back and then open it. Since I was a dancer, mine had a little ballerina in it, and at least once a week, this would wind and open in the middle of the night while I slept. Not cool, George. My aunt and uncle are the type of people that drink milk with dinner. We later learned that George was lactose intolerant because every now and again, the milk glasses on the dinner table would just tip over without being touched. And one time, it actually exploded to the point that my uncle went around checking for a gunshot hole in the kitchen windows. Candles in the living room would light and burn out on their own. The TV would shut off around 10 o'clock every evening. My aunt would always say, George, it's not my bedtime. We were the family that stayed up watching movies at the end of the day, and while the 10 p.m. shutoff was inconvenient, we always knew what time it was. One really nice memory of George that I definitely thank him for is when we were little, we used to slide down the stairs on our butts when we would go to my suite and bedroom. We decided to make it a laundry basket surf day, and the upstairs went straight down, then curved into a wall at the bottom before it turned. I was unsuccessful with my surf, to say, and I knew I would be hitting the wall. Thankfully, though, my laundry basket just stopped before the bottom step, like somebody had blocked me. I would have definitely broken my nose otherwise. My cousin was at the bottom of the stairs, bewildered, as my laundry basket hovered between two stairs at the bottom. While he could be a pest at times, ultimately, he brings good energy and protects us little kids that grew up there through the generations. Oh my goodness, that was so intense. All of those little teeny tiny stories about George. I love it. Give me more. This next story is from my husband. Either my great or great-grandfather reportedly owned a haunted house. There was an old picket fence with a gate and the house had a porch. From time to time at night, my dad told me that you could hear a horse ride up to the gate. It would open and slam and then there would be stomping footsteps up to the porch. The footsteps would end on the stairs. Even more rarely, there would be a gunshot at the end of the event. From what my dad has told me, the only thing that you could see was the gate open 
and slam. Everything else were just sounds. My family isn't sure what incident happened that left that imprint, but it had to have been very important to the rider of the horse. That one also just gave me goosebumps all over. And the final two stories are mine. I believe I shared this first one in our Q&A episode, but here we are, ghost story episode. I'm just going to tell you again. When I was in high school, probably around 2006 or 2007, I worked in an assisted living. That was like the career path I really wanted to go into when I was in high school, working with the elderly in some way, shape, or form. So as my high school job, I worked at this assisted living in the town I lived in. And this assisted living was in the shape of a horseshoe. So you walk in the front door and there is the dining room right in the middle. You have the kitchen right behind that. And you have like the nurse's station kind of on either side of the kitchen. And then down the like horseshoe hallways were all the residents' rooms. And at the end of both hallways, there were like emergency exits leaning to the outside. So one evening, I was actually working a night shift. This was probably during the summertime so that I could do it and not have to worry about school. Um, so I worked the night shift and I was on like the team with the nurses. So I walked around and helped give out medication. I like cleaned up the residents, gave them showers. I gave them food, kind of helped clean up wherever was needed. So this particular night, we were walking around the hallways to check on all the residents at bedtime to give them their medications, make sure that everybody was in their rooms and nobody needed anything. And if they did, we could go get them. So at this particular assisted living, all of the residents wore these call buttons around their necks or like on their pants or on their wrist or something. And the way that these particular ones worked is if you pushed the call button, the box in the nurse's station would pop up with whose call button it was and where this call button was located. So it would either tell you that they were in a specific room, that they were in a hallway, they were in the dining room, they were in the like family room, or they were outside on the porch. So this particular night, we were doing our normal rounds and a resident's call button went off. So we went back to the nurse's room and we looked on the little box to figure out who it was. And it was this sweet little old lady. And I can't remember her name, but she had lived there for a long time. And the call button said that it was coming from her room, like she was in her room. So we immediately went to her room. We knocked on her door, no answer. We decide to just go ahead and open the door in case, say, something is wrong. Maybe she's passed out, she's unconscious, whatever. So we decide to go into her room and the lights are turned off. We walk in, we call her name, no answer. Walk in just a little bit further We have the light turned off this entire time. So we walk in just a little bit further. We call her name again. And all of a sudden we hear, can you help me? And this little old lady had like a very sweet, mellow, calming voice. Like, oh, I'm so cute. Blah, blah, blah. You know, that kind of thing. This can you help me was a high-pitched voice. It was loud. It was bold. It was there. So that was definitely not this resident. So the nurse that I am with turns the light on and we go further into the room, like to the person's bed. This woman is sound asleep. So we kind of like shake her leg a little bit, wake her up, and she wakes up and it's like, hi, is everything okay? Can I help you? And we're like, your call button went off. We came inside to kind of check on you. 
want to know, make sure everything's okay. She's like, no, I've, I've been asleep the whole time. So then we ask her where her call button is and it is around her wrist, underneath the covers, nowhere where she could have like accidentally pushed it or anything. So we ended up leaving her room and going back to doing our rounds and we noticed that the call button for that particular resident goes off again. But this time it says that she is in the other hallway, which is not where her room is. So of course we go down that hallway. There's nobody there. We go back to the resident's room. We walk in. We don't turn the light on. We say, hello, is anybody there? Everything okay? And again, we hear that voice. Hey, can you help me? We turn the light back on. The resident is still in her bed. She wakes up again, asks if everything is okay. We kind of just say, no, we're just checking on you. And we leave and kind of hope that it doesn't happen again. And after that, it never went off again. Her call button never went off. And I believe she ended up passing away a few months later. So we ended up telling our supervisor about this a little while after she died. And the supervisor said that there was another woman who lived in her room before her. And when we described like the voice and like high pitched and super like loud and bold, she said, yep. That's the person who lived in her room before. She was very like animated and loud and bold. And that was definitely her voice. So, oof, super creepy. Lots of chills. Had a very hard time working the night shift after that. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get money during high school. And the very last story I have is actually a dream my mom passed away in 2017, and for about seven months, we didn't know exactly what had happened. Uh, we have been waiting on the autopsy results for that long. And if you want to hear that story about the horrible email I sent to the medical examiner, you're more than welcome to ask me, and I'll tell you about it. So after we finally got um, the autopsy results back, um, and we learned that she died of an accidental overdose. Um, she had depression and mental health issues probably her entire life and misused her prescriptions. Um, so this was kind of an at fault of hers. Um, so the dream that I had after we learned of the autopsy report was I dreamed that I could see... Like, my dad, my husband, my brother, and my mom. And, like, we were all in an airport together. And everybody, I could see their faces. They could talk to me and everything. But every single time that my mom would turn around, her face would be just completely blank. So, that was the only dream that I had about that. But then, several months later, I had another dream with her in it. And this time, it was... Me and her were, like, working in this same company, and we were, like, in a stairwell together, and this time I could see her face, and her response to me was, I'm sorry, and I'm sick. So, I believe that was her coming to me in a dream and telling me that she was sorry for the things that she had done. And that she was finally admitting that she had a mental health issue and depression and anxiety. That she was kind of finally owning up to it because the entire time she was alive, she never really admitted that she had a problem with her prescription medication um, and that kind of thing. So those are all of our ghost stories and paranormal stories tonight. And this is the first Tuesday in April. So get ready for True Crime On March 7th, the Supreme Court left in place an opinion by Pennsylvania's highest court that overturned comedian Bill Cosby's sexual assault conviction, rejecting a bid from Pennsylvania prosecutors 
to review the decision. Bill Cosby was convicted of aggravated incident assault in 2018 for drugging and sexually assaulting Andrea Constant in his Pennsylvania home in 2004. He was sentenced to three to ten years in state prison. He was released from prison in June after the state's Supreme Court overturned his sexual assault conviction on the grounds that his due process rights have been violated. The body of a missing Florida woman, Cynthia Cole, was found in a septic tank behind her home after she was killed and dumped there by her handyman, Kiyoki Dimchi, on March 6th. She went missing after attending an art festival in Jensen Beach on February 24th. The police noticed that the top of the septic tank in her backyard was ajar. Kiyoki was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Enrique Tario, the chairman of the far-right extremist group The Proud Boys, was arrested on March 8th and charged with a conspiracy for his alleged role in the planning of the January 6th Capitol attack. He isn't accused of physically taking part in the breach of the Capitol or even being in D.C. at the time. The Justice Department states that Enrique conspired to corruptly construct influence, and impede an official proceeding, the certification of the Electoral College vote. Elena Branson was charged on March 8th with acting and conspiring to act in the U.S. illegally as an agent of the Russian government, willfully failing to register under the Foreign Agents Registration Act, conspiring to commit visa fraud, and making false statements to the FBI according to a criminal complaint. From at least 2011, Branson worked on behalf of the Russian government and Russian officials to advance Russian interests in the U.S., the complainant said. Prosecutors allege that she coordinated meetings for Russian officials to lobby U.S. political officials and business people and operated organizations to publicly promote Russian government policies. A jury on March 9th convicted a man of raping and stabbing to death a woman in her Sacramento area apartment 40 years after her death. Philip Lee Wilson, 73, was found guilty of murder with the special circumstances of rape. The Sacramento County jury returned the verdict one day after initially deadlocking on charges. Philip was accused of killing Robin Brooks, 20, at her apartment in Rosemont on April 24, 1980. A friend who noticed that she didn't show up for work on April 24 found Brooks's body inside her apartment. CBS Sacramento reported that investigators said genetic genealogy using DNA from blood and semen at the crime scene were used to identify Wilson as a suspect. Wilson's conviction came on his birthday. His sentencing is scheduled for April 22nd of 2022. Two men were captured on March 10th in Southern California and are suspected of a Hawaii murder. They were living in the victim's house in an exclusive gated community until neighbors complained about a stench leading to the discovery of the homeowner's body encased in concrete in his bathtub. U.S. Marshals and Los Angeles police found Juan Barron, 23, hiding in a crawl space under a bench at the back of a Greyhound bus Wednesday in Anaheim, California. The bus was headed for Mexico. They are both being held without bail, pending extradition hearings to be returned to Honolulu to face murder charges. Former Empire actor Jesse Somlet was sentenced on March 11th to 30 months of felony probation, including 150 days in jail, and has been ordered to pay restitution of more than $120,000 and $25,000 fine for making false reports to police that he was the victim of a hate crime in January of 2019. After the judge announced his sentence, Jesse lowered his face mask, and said that he was innocent. He is quoted saying, Your Honor, 
I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this. And I am not suicidal. If anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do this myself. And you must all know that. 62 years ago, a school teacher looking for rocks in an Arizona desert made a horrific discovery. The burned remains of a young girl. Her identity was a mystery, and investigators called her Little Miss Nobody. For decades, the Yavapai County Sheriff's Office in Prescott, Arizona, along with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, and a long list of other partners, have been working to identify this little girl. But despite multiple leads at the time, the case had remained unsolved. Well, on March 16th, the little girl has a name, thanks to advanced DNA technology. Authorities identified her as Sharon Lee Gallagher during a news conference. This is the oldest cold case Yavapai County Sheriff's Office has ever resolved. A missing Ohio woman has been found dead on March 22nd by a house cleaner on the balcony of her boyfriend's former apartment in Cleveland, Ohio. Audriona Barnes, 19, was discovered beneath a pile of clothes and a blanket. Her boyfriend, Benny Washington, 39, lived there before he was evicted on March 11th. Barnes was reported missing from Warrensville Heights in July of 2021. Investigators believe her body was intentionally placed outside in order to quicken decomposition. Washington, who has several prior felony convictions, was arrested one day after eluding Cleveland officers who spotted him running into another home and jumping out of a window. He has been charged with aggravated murder and gross abuse of a corpse in Barnes's slang. An autopsy indicated that she was shot in the head and cops found bullet casings near her body, as well as a bullet hole in a wall in Washington's former residence. This was a fantastic episode. So thank you for sending in all your stories, and I really hope you enjoyed this. Before you leave, please take a moment to listen to this promo from my friends at the Culture Quest podcast. 24 hours is like three weeks. Wookies, <laughs> 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 uh, lasers, Death Star. <laughs> so slugs up your butt is bad. Is that what was gleaned from this? Hi, we're the Culture Quest podcast. We're on a quest to become more cultured people by discussing a movie, a music album, a book, or anything else really each episode. Check us out, culturequestpodcast.com. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. <laughs>